Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the question really is lost or stolen when it comes to the 2020 election. Uh, interestingly, nearly one third of Americans uh, believe so, and the number jumps to two thirds amongst uh, Republicans. But a new report from some high-profile conservatives might prove once and for all that this was lost, not stolen. And helping us break all of this down, really pleased to have joining us once again on the program, our favorite judge, Judge Thomas Griffith, uh, who served for many years on the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, uh, second highest court in the land. He's also a lecturer at Harvard uh, and a fellow at the Wheatley Institute at Brigham Young University. Uh, Judge Griffith, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here, Floyd. Uh, so this uh, the seventy two page report uh, that came out I think is so important for us to to work our way through uh, and this was you and a number of your colleagues and uh, other prominent conservatives coming together uh, to really explore this and I think as a tee up I think it's important you you looked at a lot of the cases that had been filed following the election and we want to note that that is a Filing those kinds of, of cases in a close election is normal uh, for both Democrats and Republicans, uh, but you saw them all the way through to the end. So give us some sense uh, as you dug into all of those cases and claims. Uh, what what did you find? What was the real sense there? Well, well, there was one consistent story that came out, and that is that uh, the, 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 the president and those who were supporting him were, were unable in any instance— to show that there was fraud uh, in the election, not that, not in any instance, in 64 cases uh, before uh, judges that were appointed by Democrats, judges that were appointed by Republicans, in all of them, never once were they able to establish, to produce the evidence that there was fraud that changed the outcome of the election. Now, now people will point out, rightly so, there's 64 cases, and a number of them uh, were dismissed on procedural technicalities, never got to the to, to the claims. Uh, but but uh, but half of them were thirty of them had, in front of thirty different judges. Uh, uh, the the Trump lawyers and his supporters presented claims of uh, made allegations about fraud, and in every instance, the court said, "You haven't produced evidence. You know, you 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 you've, you've given us." Uh, conspiracy theories that you've pulled from the internet and other sources, but you haven't given us evidence. And courts have to rely 
on evidence. Uh, there were 14 cases that, that uh, President Trump and his lawyers, they filed, but then they voluntarily dismissed it before, mm. they, re- before they had to appear in front of a judge and, and present their case. So, uh, so for us, that was really compelling. That's not the only thing that we looked at, but we, 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 we started there. And, and as you mentioned, um, when, I, when I started this project, I reached out to a number of, uh, uh, of my friends who, who were conservatives who, who cared about this issue. Look, pre- President Trump made serious allegations, and if they were true, if it's true that that the 2020 election was rife with fraud, we wanted we wanted to be uh, on the on the in the vanguard of pointing that out and saying you know something seriously awful happened here that needs to be corrected. Uh, but that's not what we found. What we found by doing our own deep dive, our own investigation, not relying on what others told about us, we found that it what it actually wasn't close. That that uh, that uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, Joe Biden won. None of us voted for him. All of us was disappointed at the outcome uh, of the election. But in, in, in America, when you lose, you lose. You concede, and then you try better the, the, the next time. But what you don't do, and what's so damaging, we felt, was to make these claims that the system is somehow corrupt. It, it, it's not. It's not. It, this is, this is the, the single greatest surprise, Boyd, I had in spending the year looking at this I didn't know a whole lot about election systems before this, and I grew up with the stories of, you know, stuffed ballot boxes in Philadelphia and <laughs> right. dead people voting in Chicago. And, 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 and that's true. There was a time in our history when that was true. The thing that surprised me and encouraged me is that doesn't happen mm-hmm. anymore in presidential elections. We, our, our election administration system in the last 20, 25 years or so has, has undergone a remarkable change, and it's become professionalized. The standards are high. And that's really good news. We can have a lot of confidence in our election system. These, these claims that the election was stolen, however, tear down that confidence yeah. and they build in distrust. And there's nothing worse for a democracy, nothing worse for a democracy than to enter distrust into yes. the system. And, that, and that, I'm afraid that's what's happening now. And we, we wanted to, to counteract that. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. We've been talking a lot this week. Uh, I I keep coming back that uh, we, we've stress tested our constitutional republic in war, world war. We've done it in uh, times of economic collapse. We've done it in pandemics, but we've never stress tested this nation of ours uh, in an absence of trust uh, in those right. institutions and in each other. And so I think that's so crucial. Uh, and I want to go now. Here's, oh, go ahead, Judge. I'm sorry. I was, I was saying, here's, here's some irony here, and it may be tragic irony here. So con- conservatives, we preserve institutions, right? That's what we're right. all about, <laughs> right. is preserving institutions. But right now we have this group of people who claim to be conservatives, and perhaps they are conservatives, who are tearing down an institution, the institution of our democracy, of our election system, and they're doing it without any evidence. They just do it based on wild, uh, wild claims. We, we came, our group came to the same conclusion that the Trump administration's Department of Homeland Security came to, and that the Trump department's, the Trump administration's Department of Justice came to, that the FBI came to, and that the president's own White House counsel came to. Yeah. And that is, there is just not evidence that there was fraud of a nature that changed the outcome of the election in even a single precinct in the mm. country. Yeah. Now, now I want to get to the pivot, because this was one of the things that jumped out uh, to me as I read through the report. Uh, and and that was the the call forward because I, I think that's the 
the key. It's actually the key for both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, we've actually seen it in elections like in Virginia, uh, that if we continue to obsess over the results or if we continue to fight the last war, instead of focusing on presenting candidates and ideas that offer that vision uh, for the future, that, it's, that it is about what's next, uh, that that's the, the, the real threat to us moving forward. So how do you see that from your unique history and perspective in terms of that pivot? So, so I'm not a politician, so these are just my views and wh- whether they're well taken or not, I know. But this, this is how I feel about it. I, I, I feel that conservatives right now are missing a great opportunity um, uh, to, 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 to present a forward-looking vision for the country based on conservative principles, limited government, religious liberty, judicial conservatism, the rule of law. Uh, the opportunity society, all of these fundamental principles of conservatism that we've stressed for so long, those are getting pushed to the wayside. And instead, we're seeing this drumbeat of the election was stolen, the election was stolen, the election was stolen. It's not true. It, it increases distrust. Um, and, you know, my prediction here is if, if, if conservatives make that their their calling card, uh, they're not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to win. Yeah. And, and, and otherwise, they, otherwise they, they, they would. Uh, um, again, I'm not a political scientist, but I, I, I think the only way Republicans uh, and conservatives lose in 2024 is if they take their eye off the ball of running on conservative mm. principles that offer a positive vision forward for the country. They take their eye off that ball and they go back to 2020 and assert these baseless claims that the election was stolen. I, I think it's a recipe for, for disaster. Yeah, great insight as always. Judge Thomas Griffiths, again, served for many years on the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, a lecturer for Harvard and a fellow at the Wheatley Institute at Brigham Young University. Uh, great work, great report, important conversation. We'll continue to move that forward. Judge, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.